All right, good evening. We're excited about being here tonight. I uh, actually grew up in Lilburn, and I uh, went to Burkmar High School over at uh, Pleasant Hill Road and 29 Highway, but we went to Killian Hill Baptist Church, and I met my wife there. She's sitting over here on my left. Uh, we met there just a few years ago, 30 years ago, something like that, and um, her mom and dad weren't real sure about her dating a public school boy, but they allowed it, so it worked out, and I also met Derek and Corey Lawrence there. Anybody know the Lawrence family? So um, we go to Victory Baptist now. In fact, my daughter's in school over there at Victory. Um, had a couple kids come through the school, and so it's been a great school for our kids. And uh, the only thing I struggle with over there is, uh, is, is, is Pastor Lawrence on Sunday morning because I know him as a 15-year-old goofball, you know? And, and so I see him as Derek. And so, um, but working through that, and so... Derek and I are great friends. Pastor Lawrence and I are great friends. Um, and uh, so we talk a couple times a week and enjoy being with them. And so um, we uh, kind of come back to hometown a little bit tonight. We live out in Loganville. And uh, my wife and I started an agency um, uh, several years ago, back in 2017, called Families for Families. And I want to talk a little bit tonight about foster care and what that looks like in our state and um, what it looks like for churches and then how you can be involved. And let me share a few things with you. We are the largest faith-based agency in Georgia. And let me tell you about what we hold to. We, are, we hold to every family that comes through, we have to get a pastor's reference for. And so we only partner through churches. Um, every family has to be a member of a church. We hold to a statement of faith. They sign a positional morality. And we hold to a biblical view of marriage. And so we believe at the end of the day that foster care is an incredible platform for evangelism. And let me just say this. There's a lot of talk. Social work, is, social work issues are the buzzword today. But if all we do is social work and take kids out of bad homes and put them in good homes, the abuse they have in hell will be a lot longer and a lot worse than anything they had on earth. And so my challenge as, as, as we look at what agencies are doing and where the political environment's heading to, and we're trying to stay true to what we believe and true to our faith and what God called us into. And so when we started this agency, they said, you guys are way too narrow focus. It's never going to grow. Let me share something with you before I start tonight. In the last, since 2017, we've placed 745 kids in Christian foster homes. We've completed 97 adoptions, and we have seven more that have already signed paperwork. We're just rating on dates. And so if you follow us on Facebook or something sometime early February, we will hit our 100th adoption. We've started six offices in Georgia, and number seven opens July 1st in Cartersville, Georgia. And so what we're seeing is that the church, I believe this, I believe it's not that believers don't care about foster kids and orphans is that we may not know about them, and if we do know about them, we don't know how to get involved. Does that make sense? And so what we really try to do is to come in and say, okay, here's a way your church can be involved, and here's something you can do. And so I kind of want to walk through that tonight, what that looks like for you, what that looks like for your church. And so you may be sitting here tonight and going, you know what? I didn't like my own kids, so I don't want any more kids, okay? (laughs) Not all y'all should laugh at that, but, um, but, um, but here's the thing is, that may be true. I um, hope it's not. But if you want to, I just want to say this tonight for us. If you want to cook a meal or if you want to babysit or if you want to help a kid with a birthday, there's something for you to do. And so I want you to hear that tonight before I start. There's something that you can be involved in in foster care. And that's, that's what I want to share about tonight. Hey, um, tonight, um, 185 kids will sleep in foster beds tonight with our agency that all are in faith-based homes that all go to church. 
Every Sunday I get to say this. There are kids in care today with our agency that last week this time they were being abused and neglected. There are kids that went to church today for the first time because of church partners like you. There's kids today that heard about the name of Jesus for the first time ever today because of kids that we were able to say yes to this week in foster care because of families and what they do. Here's maybe the worst stat. We talk about how many kids that we place and how many kids we help. Last year, we said no to 988 kids. That means DFAS would call our office. You have a home for this kid. We'd say no. Do you have a home for this kid? We would say no. So 988 times we said no last year. We were able to say yes 172 times. And so it is an incredible ministry. And so I'm looking forward to sharing with you. And I'm going to pray before we start. And then we are going to dive into the book of Exodus. And we're going to skip around a little bit tonight. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight. And I thank you for some time just to share about what you're doing. And God, your call on our life for the orphan and for foster children. And so God, I know that as believers that you've called us to be a part of this somehow. And so, God, I pray that you'll speak to families tonight. God, I pray you'll speak to young people tonight. God, I pray you'll speak to people about what you want them to do. And so, God, we thank you for letting us be a part of this. I thank you for letting my wife and I be a part of this. And thank you for calling our family into this. And so, God, we know that you adopted us into your kingdom when we could bring nothing to you. God, that you heard our cry and you saved us. So, God, we thank you for that. And God, we pray that we will extend that same grace to the families and the, co- and the community around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Okay, they gave me this buzzer thing, this thing to use here. Someone try this. Okay, so in Exodus, all right. So the book of Exodus, chapter 22, verse 22. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, God starts to deal with the orphan or the fatherless for the first time. And so God's going to start dealing with how to take care of the orphan. He says this. He says, You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. And if you afflict them in any wise and they cry out to me, then I'm going to surely hear his cry. Now, I doubt any of you woke up this morning and said, We're going to go afflict some fatherless kids today. Um, I hope you didn't. But the passage actually can be translated this. You shall not allow any affliction to come upon any widow or any orphan. And so this is a passage. God's people have been delivered out of 400 years of bondage. They're out in the wilderness now, and God starts to deal with them on how he wants them to act. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, you don't have to flip over there. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says that the people have been in bondage for 400 years, and they begin to cry out to God. And they begin to ask God for a deliverer. And they begin to pray that God would send them somebody. And so the Bible says that God hears their cry, and we know that God sends them Moses. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, God comes to them. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so they wanted to get out of bondage to go worship. But God says, hey, I want you to worship, but I also want you to be, I want you to be my people. I don't have a relationship with you. It's the same two things God calls us today, is to worship him and have a relationship with him. And so, so God didn't just get them out of bondage because they were working too hard. God got them out of bondage because he wanted to spend time with them. He wanted to worship with them. And so he says this. He says, you shall not afflict any widow or any fatherless child. Let me tell you this. This is what I believe. Anytime that God gives us freedom, it demands responsibility. Does that make sense? God never dealt with them when they were in bondage to take care of the fatherless and the widows. He didn't do it until they were out of bondage. 
And God says, now that you have this freedom, you want to worship me, you want to have a relationship with me, well, this is what I want you to do. He says, and if you afflict them any wise and they cry out to me, I hear their cry. You guys know in the New Testament the parable about the, about the, uh, the servant that owes the master all the money. And he goes to the master and he begs and he pleads and he says, I forgive you. And then that servant goes and he finds somebody that owes him a day's wage and he beats the servant. And he says, and so the master comes back to him and says, because I forgave you, you should have forgave your fellow servant. Well, this is the same passage almost. He says, hey, because I, because I heard your cry in Exodus 3, 7, I want you to hear other people's cry in Exodus 22. And so he calls on them to do that in um, in this verse here, and in James chapter 127 in Isaiah, we always see the word widow and the word fatherless together. Anybody know why they're together? Anybody want to guess? Pastor, are they allowed to talk in church? Oh, they're good. Okay, I'm make sure. Anybody want to guess why? Well, all through Scripture, James 127, we see them together. Isaiah, we see them together. Exodus, we see them together. Here's the reason. You ready? One of them is older and one of them is younger. But they do have a common bond. The common bond is they both lack a male protector. A fatherless child and a widow both lack a male protector. Now, I believe this. Satan is a master of strategy. The Bible says that his demons are organized. They're like an army. There's demons above other demons in their arm. And so I believe this. I believe Satan has an incredible strategy figured out. If he can remove men, society will take care of everything else. If he can remove a man from a child's life, society will take care of everything else with that kid. If he can remove a man from a marriage, society will take care of everything else. And so that's why I believe that God calls his, hey, I want the church to step in. And I want to, you guys to be the father to the fatherless. Now, this is a passage in Exodus. And so we work with an agency, a government agency called DFATS. It's called Department of Family and Child Services. Let me, let me show you something. In Exodus, there was no DFATS. Y'all with me on that? There was no state government. There were no case managers. There was no CASA. There were no courts. And so I want you to hear this. This passage was not written to a government agency. This passage was written to believers. In fact... We would never want the government being a father to the fatherless. And so when I look at this passage, I see this, this whole thing. And those people tell me all the time, they say, Wayne, I would work with you guys. Like I would help foster kids, but defects is really messed up. And I've said this when I speak with them. I couldn't agree more. But I'll share this with you. I believe one reason defects is in the shape it's in is because the church has completely dropped the ball on something that God called us to do, and we've handed it back to the government to do. And so I believe God calls the church, and he says, as a church, I want you to be involved. I did some research this week. I'm actually doing chapel at Tripp McConnell University on Tuesday. And so I was doing some research this week on the fatherless homes. You know the number one place that gangs recruit kids from? Fatherless homes. You know the number one reason that kids join gangs? Because they're looking for a sense of identity and family. And so Satan's got something figured out. If he could just remove dads, everything else will take care of itself. Hey, you don't have to watch TV very long. You don't have to look at political agendas very long. That they are doing everything they can to remove men from our society. And so God was already dealing with it. It's interesting. 
In Exodus, we see God dealing with the orphans and the fatherless, but it actually can go back even farther than that. You know, in the Garden of Eden, we know that uh, Cain killed Abel, right? We know Abel had kids. So Abel's wife was the first single mom raising kids in Scripture. It's very possible that Adam and Eve were the first grandparents helping raise their grandkids. And so I, I just say that people talk about foster care and it's this new problem and families have been messed up. Man, families have been messed up since the Garden of Eden. They've always been messed up. And so God starts to deal with this and how do we do this. Here's the other thing about fatherless, and this is why I believe God calls a church to step in and be the fathers of the fatherless. Most kids see their earthly dad or their heavenly father like they see their earthly father. So if my earthly father is all about performance and pushing me and I want you to do this and I want you to do that, I begin to think that's the way my heavenly father is. i got to perform for him. i got to do stuff for him. If my earthly father... If my earthly father is never around, then I think my heavenly father is never around. But if I don't even know who my earthly father is, it's very difficult for me to understand what a heavenly father does. And so as men, for our calling is to step in with kids and step in and be a father to the fatherless. Here's the next passage is this. Jesus says, ooh, i got to remember i got to do this now. All right. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And this is Jesus talking about, I'm not going to leave you down there by yourselves. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he will guide you. One of the truest definitions of an orphan is someone without a guide. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you without a helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to come guide you. One thing that we do is we take kids that don't have guides. And I'll share more about it in just a minute. We take kids that have no fathers, sometimes don't have moms, and we try to bring those kids in and give them structure and give them a guide. Let me tell you a little bit about, and Paul mentioned this just a few minutes ago a little bit. Um, I keep wanting to say go to the next slide, but that's me. Um, Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, I thought that was something the Baptists came up with, but I learned that's not true. Do you know who came up with the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday? It was Ronald Reagan. 38 years ago, he came up with the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday where we would set aside a day and we would, we, would, uh, we would honor the sanctity of human life. Well, 1973, Roe v. Wade came into effect. And so let me share with you a little bit what's gone on in our state this year. And you may know some of this, you may not know some of this, but let me share with you. So Dobbs' decision was June 24th, 2022. It did not make it abortion illegal. I keep, people keep telling me abortion is illegal. It's not illegal now. It just put it back in the hands of our states. Well, Governor Kemp signed the heartbeat law that says that when there's a heartbeat, we can no longer do an abortion in Georgia. And that was July 20th, 2022. So he signs that. He actually signed it before, but it didn't matter until Dobbs' decision was put in. So July 20th of 2022, heartbeat law comes in. So when a baby has a heartbeat at six weeks, we're no longer allowed to do abortions in Georgia. Okay. Well, of course it got appeals. It gets overturned November 15th of this year. And a week later on November 23rd, right before Thanksgiving, it's finally signed into law. Okay. And so now We are one of the first states that enacted the heartbeat law. It got challenged in court, and now it's going to say, you know, people always tell me this, like, well, Wayne, you know, people can just drive across state lines. And let me me tell you something. They can. But Planned Parenthood is very strategic of where they put abortion clinics. They're in the poorest of the poor areas many times. They are targeting certain people. They're in inner cities. They're in some really tough spots. And I'll say this, in the last three months, we've placed more newborns than I have in the last three years. 
So we're already seeing this law start to put more kids back in our foster care system. We're already seeing the, we're already beginning to see what happens with this as more babies are starting being born. I, I was at a, I was at a um, frontline policy thing. They asked me to come speak not too long ago. And, and I was sharing about this. And this is what I believe. I believe the government can give our kids their first breath. But only God can give them life. Does that make sense? And as much as with this is a great time for celebration, it's also a time for us to go to work. Because here's a question we have to ask. And we won't get into theology and talk about this tonight. But what's worse, for a child to be aborted or for a child to be born in Lilburn, Georgia, or Gwinnett County and live his whole life and never hear about the name of Jesus? And it's not something we want to talk about tonight and we can get into everything with that conversation. But as a believer, I believe, it, I believe as believers, there's so many of us that, man, we've been... We, are, we lean towards being more pro-birth than we lean towards being pro-life. Because we can march around for an hour or two on Saturday morning and be, yep, let's do that. Law's been passed. Let's celebrate. I believe we ought to celebrate it. I believe we ought to celebrate it every day of the year. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of kids that are going to need our help. And at the end of the day, there's a lot more that we can do. So here's a stat for you in 2020. In, in Georgia in 2020. We did 41,620 abortions. That's over 100 abortions a day, 365 days a year. Y'all with me? It's a lot of kids. By the way, we've been doing that for years. Now, it did come down just a little bit. So let me, let me just read with me for just a few minutes here. You ready? Let's just say that the heartbeat law stops half of those. So we got 20,000 kids that could be born that weren't being born last year. And let's just say that of those 20,000 kids, that half of those kids, that half of those kids, grandma takes, aunt, uncle, brother, sister. Does that make sense? Like they hear about there's a baby being born in their family, and so the family steps up to take the kids. Okay, so you got 20,000. We've cut 40,000 to 20,000, 20,000 to 10,000. We're still talking about we could have 10,000 more kids a year being born without families in Georgia. In Georgia. And so when I look at that, and I, listen, love Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, love this heartbeat law. I've talked to Governor Kemp a few times, thankful for what he did. But at the end of the day, for believers, it is a celebration for us as believers. But it's also time, it's time to go to work. And it's time for us to start working and seeing what we can do to help these kids. Um, here's a number for you for Georgia foster care here. So in Georgia, before COVID, we were about 15,000 kids in foster care. Um, after COVID, when COVID hit, you guys know all the quids, kids quit going to school. And the kids sneezed in one class, three classes had to be out for two weeks. Y'all remember all that? And we were all at home with our kids. And, you know, the daycare, one kid would cough. And so that daycare, couldn't, that room couldn't come back for two weeks or this room or this room, he finally has a lunchbox in the other room, so the whole daycare shut down. And so during COVID, we uh, stopped um, seeing doctors, we stopped seeing physical therapists, we stopped seeing counselors. And so we were 15,000, 16,000 kids pre-COVID, and now we're down to 11,438. We actually dropped below 10,000 for just a few months now. As kids have gone back to school, 
we are seeing these numbers start climbing up again. Okay, this is the last official number the state put out. I believe the, the, the correct number now is somewhere around 12,000 kids in foster care, and that number is steadily climbing. Here's the other thing. In 2019, we had 7,510 foster homes in Georgia. In 2021, we have 4,650. We have lost 38% of our foster homes in Georgia over the last two years. And some of that's COVID, and there's some other reasons behind all that. Some of it has been very hard to recruit the last couple of years. It's been very hard because people weren't getting together, and people want kids COVID tested before they came in the house. And so all those things just didn't work, and a lot of families just got out of it. So the, the, the state right now in Georgia, listen to this, 4,650 foster homes, all right, for 12,000 kids. Right now, if the state goes in and they remove a child from a home, there's nowhere for that child to go. The state employee, the defects worker, will have to go rent a hotel room and live with that child in a hotel room until a home opens up. Does that make sense? Because you can't put the kid back in a home just because there's nowhere for him to go. So last month in Georgia, I was on a call last week, they spent $3.2 million paying defects workers to stay in hotel rooms with foster kids. Three, that was last month. And so every day we're taking kids out of bad homes and there's nowhere for these kids to go. And so every day when there's nowhere for them to go, they go to hotels and they live with defects workers until a foster home opens up. And we're seeing this over and over and over again. We're seeing, we, we got a phone call two weeks ago from Candom County. Anybody know where that is? It's down there next to Florida, I think. I think the Amelia River runs through Candom County in Florida. It was a sibling group of four boys, and they didn't have a home for them. I said, listen, I got a home for them, but they're up by Lake Hartwell. And uh, they were like, hey, we really love to have something closer. That's like five and a half hours away. So next day they called back. Next day they called back. Finally, on their third or fourth day they called. They said, we don't have anywhere else for these kids to go. And so they moved the kids up there. Um, they're in a pastor's home up there, and they're actually going to transport the parents up to Lake Hartwell to see the kids. And so that's a terrible place for those kids to be at, but it's better than being in a hotel. I got an email this week and, um, from down in South Georgia. And so oh, I want you to hear this because I think sometimes we just, we don't hear, we don't understand what goes on in foster care. There was a mom and she'd been homeless for several months and she had two boys and they were three years old and 14 years old. And she took them to the defects office and she said, I just can't afford to take care of them anymore. I'm giving my kids up. And so they called us. They called me on my phone one night. And they said, "Hey, can you help us out with these boys?" And um, let me share something with you. Can you imagine the conversation that mother has with a three-year-old and a fourteen-year-old heading to the defects office? I wonder what she told them. I wonder if she said, "Y'all go in there, and I'll be right back." And she left. I wonder if she prepped them the whole way. Like, "Hey, I'm sorry. I just can't do this anymore." I, I don't know. I've tried everything I can try. I can't get a job. They were living in their car. They were living from house to house. And so last Wednesday night, about 1030, she dropped them off at the defects office, and the two boys were placed in foster care. And I think I hear those stories, and I'm like, there's 12,000 kids just like that today. You know maybe the worst stat of all? In Georgia, there are 26,000 Protestant churches. 
So think about this. If every church had one foster family and that church supported that foster family and came around the family, only half the churches in Georgia would have to be involved. In fact, I'd even go farther to say this. Because most of the kids of that 12,000 are sibling groups, twos, threes, fours. I would say probably that if 6,000 of those churches took a sibling group, that only a quarter of the churches would have to be involved. This is the reason when I go to state conventions and state meetings and I speak, and they tell me all the time, we just don't think churches care about foster kids. And I say, I know you guys don't believe this. I know it's hard to believe. They really just don't know. They, we really just, we live in these bubbles sometimes that we just don't know. Gwinnett County produces more meth than any county in our nation. There are more Caucasian kids in foster care than all other races combined. Atlanta, and there's children in here, so I'm going to be careful. Atlanta is the number one city in our nation for trafficking. Some reports say that over 80% of the girls in trafficking come through foster care. Because Satan's got something figured out. If he can remove the dad, society will take care of everything else. And by the way, when we say Atlanta, we're not talking Fulton to Cabin. Last year in Gwinnett County, they did a raid and they recovered 53 people. Many of those, they were ages 3 to 17. And we got the phone calls for the girls and we took many of them in. And by the way, it's not, it's going on two or three miles from your church. It's going on everywhere. And so when I look at this, and I say, okay, God, if we believe these kids were made in your image, and God, we believe you have a purpose for them, and God, we believe you knit them together in, your mother, in their mother's womb, then God, we've got to believe that you've got a plan for these kids' lives. And so the question for us is, God, how do you want us to be involved in that? How can we come in as a church and be a part of that? Here's one more stat, and then I'm done with these. 700 kids age out every year in Georgia. Anybody know what age out means? Okay. That means on their 18th birthday... They become homeless, all right? And if you're in foster care and you're a boy or a girl and you turn 18, on your 18th birthday, the state stops giving you funds. They stop helping. And those kids, many of them become homeless. Um, Only 3% of those will go to college. Um, Of those 18%, many of them will become homeless. Many of them, girls, will put kids back in foster care. So 700 kids age out every year. I think that's about 12 a week. So before you come back Sunday night, 12 more kids age out of foster care. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution did a report two years ago that said that 400 kids go missing every year from defects and they don't know where they go. 400 a year. Eight kids a week just vanish. Whether they're runaways, whether they're kidnaps, we don't know. And that was the whole point of the article. We, we don't know what happens to them. We have a good idea what happens to them. But 400 kids a year. So think about this. Before you come back in here next Sunday... 20 more kids will either age out of foster care, most of them become homeless, and eight more kids will go missing. And so I have to look at this and go, okay, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to be involved in this? Next question, next verse is this, pure and undefiled religion. Um, In the sight of God our Father is to visit the fatherless and the widows. There they are again. 
in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You know, it's one of the few times in Scripture that it uses the word pure religion. You know why it's pure religion? Because these kids are never going to bring anything in. Does that make sense? You're not going to take one of these children and bring them into your church and get involved in kids' ministry and Uncle Freddie from down the road is going to show up and say, thank you so much for taking care of my niece or my nephew. Here's a couple million dollars. Y'all can go build your building here. Um, that's God calls this. He said, this is pure religion. This is undefiled. It's to take care of the widows and the fatherless and to keep yourself unstained from the world. We're going to come back in two weeks. I'm going to start wrapping up. We're going to come. Can y'all see that okay behind me? All right, we're going to come back in two weeks. And so this is kind of what we try to set up in churches. And we're working with your pastor right now to set this up here. And so what we want to do is we want to find a point person in your church to help us with foster care. And so we have an app that we manage this thing through. And um, what we do is we want to come in. We want you guys to help us with this. Is come in and to surround our foster care families with support. And so listen to this. Over half the families that go into foster care quit within the first year. Okay, and it's not because they don't love kids. It's not because they don't love Jesus. It just gets to be a lot of work. So our agency holds a 98% retention rate after the first year. And this is, the, this is one of the reasons why. So here's what we do. We come in and we try to find somebody who will do meals once a week for that family. So we try to find somebody, hey, on Tuesday night if you want a meal, Thursday night, whatever it is. It can change up during the week. We'll talk more about that. We try to find somebody that can just pray for that family. Pray for their marriage. Pray for their bio kids. Pray for their foster kids. Pray for the biological family of the foster kids. Um, respite is somebody that can keep kids for a week, maybe two weeks at a time, maybe 10 days at a time. But you can go through a process and you can be approved to be a respite family. So if a family in your church is fostering and they have to leave town for a week or something, and they can't take their foster kids with them, they can stay with you. A family friend is somebody that can keep kids two or three times a year for two or three nights at a time. Um, they don't have to go through any process. It's called RPPS, Reasonable and Prudent Parenting Standard. Um, and so we'll we're gonna look for families to do that. A mentor is just a babysitter. 18 and over can be a babysitter. And all they have to do is do a CPR first aid class, a local background check, and we pay for all of that and a, um, and a driver's license. And they can do that. And then a handyman. Um, this handyman thing we started about a year ago, and it has been great. Um, when you're a foster family and they call you for foster kids, they're not coming on Tuesday at 3 o'clock. They're coming in two hours. Okay. And so in two hours, you said you wanted this, this pastor up at Lake Harville said they wanted two kids. They would pray about three, but let us know if you have four. Okay. So we got a call for a sibling group of four. And so we called them. Um, we called this, we have a, we have a team set up around. We called his handyman and he went out and got bunk beds from another ministry, brought them there and put bunk beds together. Um, because they don't need bunk beds next week. They need bunk beds that night because the kids have to sleep somewhere. So handyman, we use them like to hang ceiling fans, put bunk beds together, put cribs together. You ever gone to like Sam's and bought one of those swing sets? You know parts they have in them? Okay, there's like 8,000 parts. And you can put one together in about three hours unless your kids are helping you. And then it takes about four days, right? And so and if you've got foster kids helping you... You turn around, they've done swallowed a bolt or something, you know, and so you got problems. So we need families that can come in and just a very practical help with our foster families. And so we try to surround every family with that. And so with our app, with our director of foster care, you guys, whoever does that, will get a text and say, hey, we just placed a kid in so-and-so's home. Hey, this kid just went home. Hey, this family needs them. So we communicate all that 
through this app and through what we do. And so this is what I want you to hear tonight. Um, getting ready to close one here tonight. As we're talking about this, you don't have to foster. You don't have to adopt. There are other things that you can do. You can be a babysitter. You can go volunteer at a date night and watch kids for two or three hours. You can hang a ceiling fan or put a bunk bed together or cook a meal for somebody or buy an Uber Eats gift card or buy what's the other DoorDash. You can buy a DoorDash gift card and just help families out. The churches that stay in foster care and do it the best are the churches that have families that foster and then families that support those families. And so what we're looking for is a long-term game in foster care. And so that's kind of the model that we're going to come back in a couple of weeks and I have a slide on that in just a minute. So before I close, I want to um, tell you a story. My, um, my wife and I, we have, we have five biological kids. And um, we, uh, several years ago, we were in a small group and went through a book um, called Radical. And um, it was just a book about the gospel and what the gospel is supposed to look like. So my wife and I got talking, like, what it would look like for us to be a foster family. And um, you guys know, if your wife says she's been praying about something, what's the best thing to do, man? Somebody said it. You say yes, ma'am. All right. And so that's not really how it worked, but it sounds good. So that's what I say. And so we, we talked about it and we prayed about it. And so we went through this big, long process, Pastor. And uh, it took like four months. And so they do drug screens and background checks and they check the air in your tires. And I mean, it's just, it's crazy. All the questions they have and everything that you don't want to talk about, they ask you about. And we do this big, long process. And uh, we got a phone call on Monday morning. And um, I was at church. And they said, hey, your home's been approved by the state. We had no idea what that meant until five minutes later, we got a second phone call. And they said, hey, are y'all ready for your first placement? And we were like, I I still knew nothing about foster care. Are there really that many kids in foster care? Like, are there that many kids that need homes? Y'all will call us in five minutes. And the answer is yes. And they said, well, we got a girl that was, uh, she was born and left behind a dumpster in Atlanta. She's got five drugs in her system. Cocaine's the worst. Mom's been to alcohol use. There's some other issues, homelessness, and all the stuff that a lot of these kids go through. And so I'm like, honey, we should probably pray about this for a few days. How much time do we have to decide? And they said, well, we got five minutes to decide what we want to do. And so um, we said yes. And so three days later, I'm heading to go teach my students on a Wednesday night. And my wife's heading down to Grady Hospital to pick a little girl up. That night, she brought home a little four-and-a-half-pound little girl that didn't get any kind of prenatal treatment, that there were some issues there with family. And we bring her into our home. Um, Had no idea what we were doing. Had no idea what we were getting into. So we bring her in our home. She's three or four days old. And... um, I tell people looking back, I think that was the day that God started moving me away from church ministry into this ministry. Because I started hearing about all the kids that were in foster care. So I got a picture of that old girl for you. There she is. Let me tell you something. That's one of the 12,000 kids that nobody wants. I was at a frontline thing the other day, and they said, you know, there's really just no unwanted kids. They're just unfound families. I promise you that's not the way those kids interpret that that are living in hotels tonight. 
I promise you the sibling group of four that's getting split up tonight because there's not a home to take four kids, it's not the way they feel. The largest age group in foster care in Georgia is still zero to five years old. So that's her. So we have her for a year, and we're going through. We had some trips to Choa, some unexpected trips, and we have court dates, and nobody's showing up. And so we went into foster, and so no one's really coming. And so we, get, we have her for a year, court dates, everything. And so 53 weeks later, we get a second phone call. They said, would y'all like another baby? And I was like, we still have the first one that y'all dropped off 53 weeks ago. And um, I was like, honey, we should probably pray about this. And she said, well, you can pray about all you want to, but I'm going down to pick the baby up. <laughs> because it was the sister of the first girl. And so here's a picture of her. There she is. Now, she is the happiest kid you'll ever meet. But that's her. And before you say what kind of mom could do that, a mom that was put in foster care at five years old by her family that never came back to get her. And at 18, she aged out and she started the whole process over again. 12,000 kids like that today. Um, A year later, April 8th, 2014, was on one of my biological daughter's birthday. We adopted both those little girls. That's Abby and Ashley. Now, I'm not a pastor, but I think I could work a sermon up on this. When you adopt in Georgia, they get a new name, they get a new birth certificate, and they get a new social security number. It's almost like the old has all gone and the new has come. And their noggles, as much as any of my other kids, are noggles. In fact, my older biological kids said they're spoiled more, so they're more noggles than they were because we were a lot stricter on them. Because we're getting older now, so we parent more like grandparents, whereas before we had a lot more energy. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know? And, and, and so, so that's them. That's the reason that every week we're at churches. That's the reason every week we go and share this. I didn't go to school for this. The state actually gave me a waiver. They said, we're going to let you do it for a year, and if you do good, we'll give you a waiver to do it for the rest of your life. And they did. Next Sunday morning, I'll be down at Fusion Baptist in Madison, and next Sunday night, I'm up at Trent Cornwell's Church Vision Baptist up and coming. Next Sunday, I'll be at two more churches. Because here's what I want you to see. It's really not too bad to hear 12,000, a number of 12,000, But when you see one kid, it always seems to matter more. So my challenge for you tonight is this. We're going to be back here on February 5th at 6.30 after this evening service. And we're going to talk to you. We want to come back and talk to you about what does foster care look like? What does adoption look like? What does it look like for you to cook a meal? What does it look like for you to babysit? What does it look like? And my prayer is this. You'll just pray about is there something that you can do? Maybe you've got an extra bedroom in your house. I, I don't know, but you come back that night. We're not bringing any kids with us that night. No one's taking kids home, and you can just come and just hear and say, okay, 
So all the men are like, thank goodness. Okay. And so you can just come and hear what you can do. But let me share this with you. Um, and just so you guys know, we don't charge churches. We don't, we don't say you got to do this to support us to be a part of your church. Let me say this with you. Um, people ask me sometimes, they're like, Wayne, do you ever wonder, like, do you ever, are you ever concerned, like, what those kids are going to bring into your home? You know, because you adopt them so young. Do you ever wonder? You know, I always think, man, I'm glad God didn't ask me that before he let me in his family. Aren't you glad God didn't say, man, I would let you come into my family, but when you're 35, you're going to blow it, so I don't think I'm going to let you in. God says, hey, you come on in. And I promise you, come back on this night, and there's something for you to do. Here's the thing I want to tell you is this. It doesn't matter how your life starts out. It matters what God does with your life from the day you give your life to him from then on. Um, my um, daughters are with me tonight. They're not always with me, but they are tonight. And so I want to close in prayer tonight. Do we have a microphone, Pastor? If we don't, we're okay. Um, and so I wanted you to meet Abby. Abby goes with me most places. She didn't this morning because she had friends over. So, but um, I want you to meet Abby. It's going to close in prayer tonight. Abby, come on up here. This is that little girl. Hold on. This is that little girl. She is ten years old, turning eleven in. When are you turning eleven? May 5th, 6th, something like that. <laughs> we're in our pre-teens now, so we're, we're getting up there. Abby, we close the same prayer tonight. Dear Jesus, um, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to come to this church that um, so many wonderful people are at. Um, help me to have a good rest of our day and everyone else. Um, help my dad to continue his ministry and helping other kids today um, and for the rest of his life. And hope that we get... Um, some more people to join us with this. In um, Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Abby. Pastor, thank you, brother. Thank you, Brother Wayne. On February 5th, on Sunday night after the service, that library ought to be standing room only. Because whether or not God is moving in your heart to get engaged in foster care as a foster home or in a support role, all of us should be saying, hey, look, this is a mission field that we can be a part of. Because sometimes we find it hard to witness to people, to open up engaging conversations, to witness, to build those relationships. We have an opportunity to reach into a, a wide open mission field right here. We love missions. We support missionaries. We go on mission trips, and it is right for us to do so, but we've got a mission field in Gwinnett County. We have a mission field right around us, and there's gospel opportunity. And you know the Great Commission doesn't stop with just giving the gospel. It is making disciples. What an incredible opportunity to show the love of Christ, to, to see these children trust Christ, and then to be able to minister to them that their lives would be definitely very clearly different for God's glory, that they can break a cycle of what's happened in their life and be able to then have godly marriages and godly families and, and serve God because we cared enough to invest in them. And to even touch the lives of their families that they come from, and, and you just never know how God can use this. So let me encourage you. Don't dismiss this out of hand. 
that, no, this isn't for me or my family. Please pray about it and consider. And if it is not to be a foster family, to at least be part of that which would support and be willing. Folks, if we would just make ourselves available to God, he will use us, and we need to do that. Let's stand. We've already been dismissed, in a sense, in prayer. Thank you, Abby. I'm going to have Pastor Mike lead us in a closing chorus, and then we will dismiss. Let's have a word of prayer for families for families and for the need in our state. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Brother Wayne coming tonight and sharing his burden and his passion for this ministry. And uh, Lord, I pray that that would be infused into us. We have a mission field right here um, in which, which we can get involved. And yes, ministry is uncomfortable. Ministry takes sacrifice. But ministry is so worth it. And the change and the difference that we can make is not just for a few years or even for a lifetime. But it, this could be eternal, make an eternal difference in the lives of these boys and girls. So, Lord, I pray that for those churches right now that are partnering with Families for Families and are opening up themselves. Lord, I pray for this pastor uh, up in the Hartwell area with four foster kids. Lord, the ministry is already so busy and there are so many needs, and yet this pastor and his family have willingly opened their home uh, to minister because of the compassion of Christ. Please meet their needs and please equip them and give them wisdom and use them to make a spiritual difference in the lives of these children in the window of opportunity that they have. And Lord, I pray for uh, families for families that you will abundantly supply all the personnel, all the financial support, all of the support help, um, everything that they need, wisdom, discernment, good relationship with the state, all of those things, Lord. Continue to put your hand of blessing on this ministry. And Lord, as you would lead us to partner with families for families, guide us, Lord, and provide. And may this be something where it's a new opportunity of ministry and service uh, to invest and to build your kingdom. The mission field is right here. And Lord, help us to reach it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Mike.